0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a French Village podcast. I am here with my brilliant friend, Benjamin Wittes. Hello, Ben. How are you today? Where are you today? I
1: am in Miami Beach. I am uh, engaged in what your colleague, Tim Miller, would call face-licking parties with strangers who I've never met. No, none of that is true, but I am in Miami (laughs) Beach, uh, hanging out. Um, and, uh, enjoying being vaccinated.
0: Wow. I'm, uh, yeah, it's a very, uh, very, uh, interesting hotel room. It looks, it looks like you're in Miami beach. I'll tell it you does. that. It's, it's <laughs> that
1: combination of blue and white. It is, uh, sunny, uh, and, um, yeah, I, but I, I watched French village cause we wouldn't want the mood to get too good.
0: That's true. That's true. Okay. And I'm going to start out today's episode. I, I we, get a, we get a fair amount of mail. We appreciate the mail. We appreciate all of you, the thousands of you who inexplicably listen to this hobby show, um, especially those of you who do so without actually watching a French village, but just to listen to us, which I can't say I understand, but I certainly do appreciate. But I want to I wanna read you this email that I got. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new episode drop but you all need to be less team Lucienne or we need equal time for team Barrio. Kurt is a Nazi. What do we think he was doing on the Eastern front? What does he think of Lucienne's former boss, Mrs. Morehange? Nothing good. That Lucienne doesn't seem to care about. This is all the more evidence that she is one of the worst characters on the show and how unworthy she is of system B. If the series doesn't end with her getting her head shaved by righteous French villagers, I'm going to be upset.
1: Okay, so wait a minute. Let's let's do a fair analysis. First of all, I don't think there, in any fair analysis, either you or I could be said to be Team Lucienne. Uh, I think you have described her as a bad life choices machine, um, and we have talked about her in terms of goldfish energy. Um, you know, she is, uh, that said... Um, And I have, of course, made the point that she really seems to be uh, inadequately upset by having gotten some children killed at the beginning of episode one, and that's all before she starts dating Kurt. That said, it uh, is—I think this uh, writer is being a little unfair. And let's uh, let's unpack. First of all, Kurt is not. We do not know that Kurt is a Nazi. What we know is that Kurt is a German soldier and uh, the a relatively small percentage of the German population were members of the Nazi party. That did not govern whether you were subject to conscription by the Wehrmacht, which had a universal conscription uh, thing. I think Kurt is uh, uh, from uh, the uh, the... You know, so I think we, we don't actually have any sign that Kurt is a Nazi. Um, what we know is that he's a German soldier, and those distinctions are actually important. Um, he uh, There were a lot of people who, some of whom ended up doing horrible things, and some of whom ended up just fighting on the wrong side of the war um, because of Nazi conscription policies. And so I do think... I don't want to let Kurt off the hook. He's definitely fighting on the wrong side, uh, but he is, uh, as best as we can tell, a relatively decent guy fighting on the wrong side. Uh, And I actually think the French village uh, producers get some credit for being accurate in this regard and showing a bunch of soldiers on the German side as being just kind of normal people, uh, who aren't uh, aren't Heinrich Müller, who, you know, has a big picture of, wears a swastika uh, 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 lapel pin and has a big picture of Hitler in his office. Um, there was a difference between people who were, you know, committed Nazis and people who were conscripted into the German army.
0: Also, we've been given specific reasons to think that Kurt is probably a decent person. Um, you know, he – remember when he protects Gustav, when Gustav accidentally has written his his little classroom assignment on the back of a communist uh, propaganda flyer and he steps in and, and saves him? And to me, you know, my favorite thing about the show, the thing I love about the show is that I have been raised on sort of a steady diet of World War II, both fiction and nonfiction, and, and, and I think – you know you get a pretty like the Germans were Nazis and the bad guys and the Americans were the good guys and i think that that is and i i maintain that frame um with a little moral ambiguity but i do think that that personalizing showing that you know people were people and and as the show does sort of does its meditation on complicity in this moment and gives you i think a lot to evaluate even in especially in these couple of episodes that we're going to discuss gives you a lot to evaluate about the choices that people make when they're sort of all pushed into this uh historical moment and who behaves well and who behaves poorly and how do you judge how they behave um i'm gonna put kurt pretty much pretty high on the spectrum of like decent people uh and that includes my french villagers um so uh Anyway, but I, I appreciated the email. Look I am not a Lucienne Stan. I do think we get a, she gets a lot of hate uh, both in the in the mail uh, and on Twitter and I just I just it's not that I I, I just you know she, you can just see it and you see it in these episodes. We can just sort of start talking about so much uh, she, she makes bad decisions but she's also clearly been incredibly sheltered uh has doesn't have much of a mind of of her own ends up um letting other people's sort of going along with other people's bad I mean she didn't decide to go on that trip to take those kids on that trip that guy did the guy who got shot um and so uh I just and I feel like watching so so to the and to the reader's point the reason I like this email is this is like a very pro Barrio position and the thing is is that I watched the first season very pro Barrio, Like, and especially these episodes. Like, I remember these episodes and being like, this guy's going to marry her. She's pregnant. And he's going to take care of her. And that is... And he does not care. I thought it was sweet that he didn't care that this wasn't his kid. Yeah, I don't know. And,
1: I think and, that wait, this uh, is like... He he he! Finally got her. Yeah. Um, no,
0: I'm watching it totally differently the second time. But please I am, go.
1: I am anti Barrio. I'm also anti Lucien. I'm pro Morhange. Uh, she's she's the school employee who <laughs> I uh, uh, who I like, and she appears to be dying of consumption or lung cancer or something that uh, is unspeakable in her presence. But uh, the doctor can whisper to uh, De Cavern about.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, what did you? Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm very pro Morhange. Um, and 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 the thing is, I'm I'm actually. I mean, I still part of what happens. We talked about this last episode, but even in this episode, um, there is the the, the as Barrio's politics begin to emerge um and I think I can I, I know why I liked him better last time it's because he is he has he has He he puts stakes in the ground um around what he believes um and uh Lucienne appears to believe nothing you know she very very little um and and I think as as the show begins to sort of sort people morally as they are forced into choices um you know his choices begin to take shape i think earlier than hers do and you can see that he's his instincts are more on the right side but what but this but this episode just to on on, on these two in particular so she's uh he, he he he's she she takes him up on his offer uh, to marry him, um, she says, but you're not Catholic, and he says, "I'll I'll take care of it. I'm gonna I'll get baptized. I'm gonna do anything it takes for you, Lucien." And he goes to the church and tries to bribe the uh, the the priest with uh, with 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 religious teachings at the school so that he can get a a a, a shotgun catechism. Uh, and and uh, and just as that's happening. Um. Uh. The the church gets shut down because uh Marcel and uh, our our baby faced commie leader from out of town have shot. They have they have taken out. They have shot the the German officer in the drugstore. Uh. Earlier than they thought they were going to. And so the entire town's being shut down. And so they find themselves trapped in the church, where Barrio meets Lucien's father. Uh. And <laughs> go ahead.
1: Yeah, so I love this. Uh, Lucien's father, who uh, is there with a wooden angel that he has uh, reconstructed uh, and, and fixed. Uh, he's some kind of a craftsman, um, and he uh, sees right through everything that they've got going on. He uh, figures out that Lucienne is pregnant, he figures out that Berriot is not the father, that Berriot is covering for Lucien and wants to marry her anyway, and he's a very religious uh, Catholic who Lucienne is convinced is going to be very disapproving of this, and he's just pleased as punch. <laughs> because Berio is protecting their family's honor. And he's like, you want to be a fake Catholic? Go for it, dude. Um, and I love Lucien's father. Um, uh, he is, uh, he is all, all religious hypocrisy that we have all uh, imagined uh, with a kind of earnest smile and I I think he's, he's introduced in a very amusing way, and uh, he turns into a very interesting character very quickly.
0: Yeah, and I would just say, I, I guess I'd push back on a little bit of that in that, um, you know, he does sort of say, well, you can't just... You can't just convert. He just, he sort of says, like, it comes from inside. But then he, like, kind of points it at him. And he's like, but that kid is getting baptized in the catechism, like, right away. Um, and it it is, it is funny. And he doesn't seem, he does, it is a great scene where he figures it out. Of course, they're going to have soup, uh, but he figures it out. And he just kind of says, I mean, there is the annoying part for me of, or for me, but the, it, it's just old fashioned, but the, the you know, Lucien's trying to break it to him, to her dad, because he they show she show, he shows up at the house with Barrio, and uh, she sort of starts to tell him, but she's clearly like looking at Barrio like this is you now, dude, and so he has to kind of straighten his shoulders and ask permission for her hand in marriage, and then the men sit down with their glasses of something and. Lucien's dad like shoots his and then you know Barrios sipping it very primly the way that he does uh where they discuss you know the the men's business of what will be done with his daughter and then uh, and then later, you know, uh, the dad sort of pulls Barrio aside to be like, "I see this whole thing. I totally get what's going on here." But they like have to talk about it as men. And then he decides he's going to bed. Um, but but well, he, is- he decides
1: he's going to bed in a very particular context. He does not want to explain his disappointment in Lucien to Lucien. He wants to send her a message of disappointment. Uh, and so he goes to bed without eating her soup mm-hmm. um, and and specifically says to Berio, uh, she'll know exactly what it means, you know, that I'm ashamed. And, and then he says something really interesting about her, which is she understands more than she pretends to. Yes. Um, which I think is a you know, goes to one of those debates that we've been having about Lucien from the beginning, which is, you know, is she amoral? Is she uh, stupid? Is she... Uh, 20? ...very young? Uh, you know, like, what is she exactly, ethically and morally? And her father seems to understand or seems to think that she's a kind of still-waters-run-deep Kind of creature, I have to say, I find this hard to believe, but we'll see if it's a harbinger of something.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it's a, it's a cute, it's, I mean, it's, it's still a, it's still a nice, it's sort of funny scene, and and you get the whole time, you know, you're nervous for Lucian. I mean, she goes through with a self-induced abortion because clearly trying to avoid this moment of, and I'll just, I'll tell you what I was, you, you know. I would say anybody who's ever had to break tough news to a parent, right? You are petrified of their disappointment. And uh, but what I love about the dad's reaction in the context of, you know, their lives and, and the history there is that I think he reacts the way like a lot of parents do when they're met with a reality that they may that they under that they understand that their kids don't quite realize they understand uh like you know coming out to a parent for example uh you know and you think god you just can't imagine what they're going to say and like you know they kind of say something like yeah, you think. You know, like yeah, we, we edit. <laughs> uh you you were you were the captain of many sports teams and <laughs> and uh and uh and listened to a lot of indigo girls. So yeah, we were we were we might have we might have smoked that out a little bit. So there's but there's something parental about the both I need to communicate that I don't love this at the same time, like I just I love this kid, and I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not he. You can tell he's not broken by this in any real way.
1: Yeah, and also that he is uh, very grateful to Berrio for you know creating a manageable situation out of a what in other contexts would be an unmanageable situation, uh, and you know the idea of an unwanted pregnancy when you're single. Uh, today is a difficult enough thing to imagine in the context of a very religious France uh, uh, in that period uh, where everybody is struggling for food uh, and you have a stable job as a school teacher that you will not have as a single parent Um, you know uh, that's a a this is, Barrio's behavior is, uh, we can make fun of it, but if you're the father of Lucien, this is a lifeline.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, which, I, I, when I will tell you this, and now I'll jump storylines, th- and, and move on to the Schwartz's, but there's one of the really interesting things that, that comes up in this episode uh, that they don't do explicitly, but the dad asks, how much money do you make? Uh, to Berio, and Barrio says, you know, 14,000 francs a year, which makes uh dad very pleased. That must, you know, that is a uh that is a, a respectable uh amount of money and he says something like God bless the public schools or whatever. But it's funny in the context of the foie gras purchase that 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 uh um Mrs. Schwartz has has made where they have spent 5,000 francs on the foie gras. So a third of Berrios' very respectable public school salary they have spent on one item as part of a meal for the German, uh, for Kohlwitz and
1: the... uh, And to be fair to her, she acknowledges that it's extravagant, um, uh, although her husband demands it of her. But it gives you a real sense of how big the class divide is between the you know, the business class and the you know, even the the uh civil servants.
0: Yeah, but it's like it would be like if a teacher today, I'm just gonna give her a number, like made fifty thousand dollars and uh the foie gras that she was willing to pay was like fourteen grand. And <laughs> like, then for it dinner. falls
1: into the hands of the commies just to be <laughs> <laughs> just to be uh like The foie gras, we've priced it, we've purchased it, we've traded it back because Kulwitz cancels the dinner because the commies assassinate his guy. And then the commie happens to end up hiding out in the basement where the foie gras is served, is being stored, and boy is this Marcel Larche's lucky day.
0: (laughs) The foie gras movement is so funny. Uh, but but more importantly, or, or I don't not more importantly, but but to begin with, Janine, the scene where she keeps licking her fingers and putting it back in the foie gras, she is such a revolting character, and I love how they just give you like those extra um, tangible pieces of revulsion and, like, her personal etiquette, which is so gross. Okay, so
1: wait, in our in our competition now for who is the grossest, uh, female character, since the grossest male character is so obvious, there's no real competition, um, how are, how are you on the Hortense versus, uh, Janine, uh, battle right now?
0: I mean, so Hortense, uh, so here's the thing. Hortense has a couple um, like good moments in these two episodes, um, or I don't know, not good moments, but she has uh, she has a great moment where she tells Marchetti, So Marchetti has reemerged; he's back uh, and better than ever, bigger, badder. He's been promoted, uh, and and the way that he he shows up, he's been brought in to go hunt the commies down who shot the German officer, and so he shows up in Mueller's office. Hortense is there. He's still carrying his torch uh, for her, and he knows exactly what's going on, because he knows what kind of woman she is, and and knows that something's going on between them, despite the fact that they slightly pretend like it's something different. She tracks her down on the street, at which point she tells him that maybe at one point she felt some affection for him. She remembers him fondly, but she has no feelings for him now. I am so
1: done with you, dude.
0: Yeah, just like... It is. She gives it to him hard and straight. And I think that you know when you you're right that Mueller has no real competition. But Marquettey works on trying to claw his way into being like a d you know he's a yeah no, he can't he can't compare, but he's not but he's a bad guy. And so Look,
1: he's a fascist wannabe. Yeah. And the other guy's the real deal. I mean <laughs> he's, he's kind of like OG Nazi fascist policeman torturer guy. Marquette's that's true a, but it's he's pale imitation
0: that's true but it's sort of like let's just take trump versus elise stefanik to use an example of something that's uh contemporary you know i find elise stefanik's uh behavior as a wannabe who knows better to be um yes not as gross as trump himself but she is still a figure of loathing for me um fair enough anyway. I, th- I
1: think we he he is basically elise stefanik and um And I think that should be his, you know, as we draw lines to uh, the modern era, I think thinking about Elise Stefanik in Marchetti kind of terms makes a certain amount of sense.
0: Yeah, she's going to – they're both climbing that greasy pole uh, to to a better place in their minds uh, on the backs
1: of others. The difference, Um though – in, in Marchetti's defense, Marchetti actually seems to believe in some of it, which there is no evidence that Elise Stefanik does. From the beginning of the show, he is there uh, as, you know, a true believer communist investigator. He is a kind of uh, what he calls anti-national crimes, which is to say being a... Um, You know, investigating lefties, foreigners, um, uh, he does seem to be a sort of true believer in the Vichy National Revolution thing, whereas I do have the sense that Elise Stefanik doesn't believe in any of it.
0: Or there's lots of evidence to the contrary, actually. <laughs> that, that I mean, she was one of the people who was like called the never didn't wouldn't even call Trump by his name in 2016. You know, the person who was just elected to our party or, or elected. I mean, you know, she uh, no, I think she like at least Stefanik. It was like used to work for Bill Crystal, like wanted to run the main street, uh, kind of the Chamber of Commerce Republican. To, she was my wing. I mean, they were joking on the, the one of my other podcasts, The Next Level, the other day that um, when I said I hoped Lee Stefanik would be the future of the party many years ago, I should have been more specific. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oops. It's uh, a monkey paw moment. Uh, so anyway, anyway. Um, but the other Hortense, so the other uh, Hortense moment is that she goes, she finds out that Daniel has said, that he wants to trade himself for the hostages. Um, and she wants to go talk him out of this because, uh, you know, he, uh, she cares for him. Um, although I think there's actually a more malevolent reason that we can discuss, but, uh, but she kind of does this weird, like, I love you. I still need you to try to keep him from, uh, you know, making this trade and, and, and putting him up for suicide. Uh, and I think that it's because she she's, you know, she is trying to play all angles of protection for herself, and so she likes the fact that she's got this husband who's the mayor uh, at the same time, you know, she's sleeping with the German soldier, and for some reason she thinks that that gives her double protection as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to setting it up for a collision course of bad things to happen, but I think yes. that's her calculation. So, so first of all...
1: Uh, note that this episode uh, tracks very closely the history that I read last week. Uh, first of all, that they, you know, that that these Vichy officials uh, successfully, from their point of view, managed to reduce the number of people on the hostages list. And here, being a hostage means it, it's getting very literal right? If there's another attack, we're going to shoot 20 people. And they get that reduced to 10 by offering to give them a list of the 10 people. And so they, uh, and, you know, as the passage that I read last week uh, suggests, that's a, a very dangerous game. You're saving lives in a very literal sense, but it is kind of like a trolley problem. You're saving lives by deciding who dies. And at some point, uh, there was accountability for the people who did that, like you gave a, the Germans a list of people to shoot. And so Larchet puts himself in that position. And then um, also note that at some point, um, there is an explicit reference by Servier, the deputy prefect, to Marshal Patans having offered to be a hostage himself. Um, And so there's a, again, that is a real event. Uh, He contemplated offering it. He did not actually end up doing it uh, and, but he sort of got the credit for it. And so you see this, so this is a, you know, thinly disguised portrayal of actually very specific real events. Uh, And they were, as the show depicts, exactly in response to these uh, hits by communists against, um, against, you know, kind of random German officers uh, once the communist party had been kind of activated for terrorist uh, or resistance attacks. Um, uh, So, yeah, it's a, it's a, For those who missed last week's episode, uh, do go back and check out those passages, which are directly on point on the subject of of this week's episodes.
0: Yeah, I would not have caught that pretend thing had you not talked about it last week. I heard it this time like clear as a bell, but I wouldn't sort of have realized it. So that was it was super interesting. Uh, So. um, I'm going to, I want to, I want to circle back and talk about the communists because that kicks off all the action. But just real quickly to just uh, tie up another plot point uh, with Schwartz. So, one of the things, um, you know, as the whole town's getting locked down, Schwartz gets visited by this guy, now that we've seen a couple times, who uh, Dick Cavern and Larche saw on the black market. Um, he's kind of this skinny, shady character. We, we understand already that he's Servier's nephew, um, and he's somehow connected to Caberni, Uh, And he shows up to Schwartz's office wanting to ask him more about Caberny and, you know, what happened. Uh, and in doing so... Um, you know, Schwartz is like, I gotta go run some errands, come with me. And so the guy gets in the car with him. They get stopped at the bridge because they're running, you know, they're they're basically searching everybody because of this shooting. And uh, the guy's got a gun on him. So they arrest both of them. Uh, and this is... Uh, and actually I'm actually not positive whether this is it ends up in the first or second episode. Um, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but... Um, it is. Both of them are arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, and the there is uh, there's a great deal of um, it is important. I, I'm actually not sure how, how to how to get too far into this, but I but I guess I'll just it when when it comes down to this idea of who you're gonna pick, right? Who you're gonna who's gonna get shot? Uh, which now we've got Daniel and Servier. Who in an attempt to save lives have, have decided that they're going to be the ones to make this list. Uh, there is this point at which they've gotten it down to 10 and they get a call, but but either Merrick is gonna be on our Ham Stealer, not really, from, from many episodes before, who's a foreigner, uh, and our Elizabeth, one of the communists. Uh, who we also have seen as a townswoman who had the malnutri- malnourished son. And both of them matter to Daniel, and he doesn't want them on the list. And But one of them basically is going to be on, And but they get this call that there's been a saboteur uh, that they have found, and that's going to take one of the spots. And so Daniel gets to keep one of them out. Uh, and that presents that moment that the... the, the um, well, he's he's happy about this at this point, but then it turns out that it's Servier's nephew, right? So this is what's crazy about the whole the whole episode becomes very close, both because it is Daniel's brother who is the one who has assassinated, uh, a a soldier is one of the people who assassinated or the the um, the gar- the commander the German commander who is now and so he's being they're coming for him. So the reason that there's this list that has to get made, the reason they're going to execute people is because of Daniel's brother. And then Servier's nephew is one of the people who needs to go on the list. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: it's kind of very carefully scripted to maximize the agony, right? So first of all, they have on the list both his patient, uh, the... uh, who he knows to be a uh, member of the communist cell that uh, participated in this. I mean, she stole the gun um, and gave it to his brother. So she's both somebody whose kid is malnourished and he, uh, under his care and whom he has helped uh, and cares about at some level, and he knows to be guilty, uh, versus Marek who is a foreigner we finally learn that he's Polish which is not surprising given his name um, uh, who is completely innocent of anything related to this but whom Servier regards as totally expendable because he's foreign and so it f- first forces him to choose um, between the two of them um, and decide who whom he whom he will save, uh, and uh, he makes the unpopular choice and one that's hard for him of trying to save the the uh, 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 trying to save the um, uh, he wants to save Marek who is who is innocent, but then of course gets put back because. Um, uh the because the nephew has the kind of protexia of being the nephew of the uh of the of the guy uh of the deputy prefect and so they're not gonna shoot him and so it kind of maximizes it it undoes it but then of course there's a uh a a a a a trick at the end, which is that the Germans are a little squeamish about shooting women uh, and so rather than sh- they, that doesn't cause them to take her off the list merely that they don't shoot her with the others. they're gonna transfer her to Germany and kill her there um so she has a reprieve to be moved to Germany and killed and um uh uh, yeah, so it sort of maximizes the agony of choice at kind of every stage of the process.
0: Yeah, and I just want to observe that uh, that when, when it is clear that Marcel is on the line, Daniel says Marcel made his choices and he's not going to intervene on Marcel's behalf here. Uh, Servier, who says he... His, you know, uh, nephew is a ne'er-do-well, uh, does, inter- does intervene, right? Because Servier doesn't seem to have much of a higher sense of justice, right? He will—and and this is where—when you say, you know, it maximizes the agony, so it also—what it, it it does is it creates affirmative choices where— as, as a sub-layer to choices that are forced upon them, right? So uh, what's, what's – and I was sort of thinking about Schindler's List uh, when I was thinking about, you know, there's that, that speech that, that Schindler makes at the end of Schindler's List where he starts talking about – he, like, looks at his – I don't know, his watch or his ring, and he's thinking about all the other Jews he could have saved with more money – and if he had just, you know, done more and he's thinking about them in terms of lives. Um, and, and so I was thinking about it in this uh, in this context where Servier believes they, – they are given an impossible task, right? They're going to kill 20 people. And it's already down from 100, as, as Kollwitz tells them. They're going to do this 20. Servier, it matters to him to get it, that number down. And Daniel too. Um, And so I think there's an an early in the episode, I was kind of taking notes and I was like, is this, are they heroes? Are they heroes or are they villains? Right? Because there's something heroic about saying, we'll make the list if you drop it to 10. And it's, and the reason that the commander is so interested in them doing that is that it's about the blood is on whose hands. Right. So they're willing to say the blood will be on our hands. We will make these choices uh, and these souls are on us in exchange for saving 10 people.
1: It is literally and- called in philosophy, the dirty hands problem. Is that right? Yep.
0: Interesting. And, and they, and, and so I think there is something heroic about the initial choice. Um, and, 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 And Daniel is less, less wants to take that on than Servier because Daniel has a, has a reluctance to, you know, he says you don't gamble with people's lives. And, and he doesn't let, or you don't, you don't negotiate with people's lives. I think what he said, um, and, but Servier has kind of a, a bureaucrat's notion of 10 is less than 20. We're going to go for that. And there's something good about, that idea but then as the negotiations get more complicated from there you begin the two the morality of the two men to me seem to separate
1: yeah i am less sympathetic to participating in the enterprise than you are though i am not i am cognizant of the fact that they saved 10 lives the speed with which they go from uh you know hey we got the number down to 10 now who's on the list to where they are consulting openly corrupt factors, like I gotta get my kids, my sister's kids' name off the list, and I'm happy to kill an innocent poll to do that. Uh, um, you know, the
0: Servier does that. That's yes. not where Larche is.
1: No, but Larche does. You know, and then he also, um, but Larche does have. You know, knows that uh, she is is uh, that the communist woman whom he's trying to save knows that she's guilty um, and that she's actively participated in this plot and is not interested. But she's his patient and, you know, he's concerned about her kids. And so he's happy to let people who aren't somebody who isn't a participant in the plot get shot if he can save her. And that's just a personal thing. Um, I, I do think that there is a real problem of once you're deciding, once you're participating in the Nazis project of deciding who lives and who dies, one thing that will be destroyed is your own soul. Um, and maybe that's worth it to save 10 lives, but these people go from doing something honorable to doing something really dishonorable really quickly.
0: And so do you, so this is, we should spend some time on this because I'm pretty interested in this question, and I think it's actually the essential question the show is asking. I see a difference. I agree with you, though, that, that for Larche, it is a matter of what will impact – like, it's what he can can and can't live with, right? It is about him. It's about what he has to feel. And because he knows that this woman has four kids, the guilt of it hurts him more than the 60-year-old uh, communist MP that I, – I have no idea what his – they don't tell you that much about his situation other than that he's married. Um, but there, you do – you, I think, as a human, do these calculations of, like – how much devastation does does it leave behind? And you can see why somebody who had four kids... Like, you can, you can understand... To me, I think there's a... You can understand why Daniel makes the decisions that he makes. And I also think his position on Merrick, which is, it's our fault that he's there in the first place. Like, they had already done an immoral thing that had allowed Merrick to be swept up in this. And so that... He felt like that blood would be on their hands for real. Um and and so that to me is different and less bad than servier getting his own nephew off and putting somebody and putting you know america and elizabeth back on the list
1: yeah i mean look i don't know this this question of how involved should you be to save how many lives uh, has racked philosophers ever since you know I mean people have been talking about it literally since this period it's been an active debate and it's been a debate among you know historical evaluation of you know the Daniel Larches and Serviers of the world um, as well I don't want to resolve that dispute I will say I will, I mean, I don't think I can resolve that dispute. I will say I feel for the officials who were in that position and I understand why they did what they did. Uh, and by the way, the this was not limited to French officials under occupation. When the Nazis were trying to liquidate the Warsaw Ghetto, um, they had the Jewish leadership of the ghetto choose people to be deported. Um, And, you know, there were uh, there were, I mean, and those numbers were big. I mean, these numbers are 20. Those numbers, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people in the Warsaw Ghetto, and the Nazis wanted to kill them all. Um, And so I, I, this is a serious problem. And people who were in this position, in good faith, Uh, had to make horrible choices and I don't really want to put the blame for those choices on them. I do want to say at least in retrospect the proper amount of negotiating with lives with Nazis was zero. And you know like I don't think very much good came of it and what came of it was a lot of people sullying their hands with killing their own people and Um, and I, I don't, I think if you could replay the tape and let Larche, knowing the rest of the war, make a different decision about how in bed with Nazis he wanted to be, he would have chosen differently.
0: Oh, I think that's, I think that's true. I I mean, I think, and that is the thing about, about Daniel, uh, which is that Daniel tends to make what seems like the best moral decision at each fork in the road but they accumulate to something grievous uh, and,
1: and that's and that's realistic at every right. step these things are defensible until there's you know a couple until there's nobody left in the Warsaw ghetto right and right, right like and that was a real That was a real thing that happened, and the Nazis actually managed to get the Jewish leadership of the ghetto to do a lot of the selection for them. Now, at the end of the day, did Larche save 10 lives here? Yeah, he saved 10 lives here. He also participated in German hostage taking um, and hostage murder by way of putting pressure on communists, who, of course, in this case included principally his own brother.
0: Yes. And and he seems to know, he he says at one point, we'll never be forgiven for what we're doing, Servier. And Servier says, We're saving ten people.
1: Yeah, and uh so that is written, of course, with hindsight, um, but of course it's written by screenwriters who know that the Danielle Larche is Have never been forgiven for this.
0: Yes, Uh, I think I think that is right. Uh, We won't get we'll 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 leave that part there. But there's a couple other there's a a fair amount of reflection going on between characters uh, in this episode. And so there's another conversation um, between Schwartz and Marie uh, that is um, less interesting than the one between Larche and Servier, but still still sort of interesting. Where, you know, Schwartz gets arrested uh, and he has to stew in prison with the other guy for a while. The other guy gets out first um, and Schwartz is, is eventually released. Uh, Kulwitz, like personally gets him out. Uh, sorry about it. Uh, and then Cremieux um, asks him to make a delivery for him. Uh, and it seems like the only way that he agrees is because Marie gets to come with him and he gets to spend time with Marie in the car uh and they end up um having this conversation where uh he is saying how insane it is that the communists uh killed a killed a german officer and she looks at him with that that sense of bemusement and sort of disgust of like, wait, why? Why is that insane? They are, we are, they are fighting back, um, and this is. I love the scene because you can see, uh, you can see her, her resistant heart, her resistance. Like it's just in there, and you know he says it's it's insane to shoot a crowd like that. What purpose does it serve? And she says it shows the war isn't over, uh, because Marie still got fight left in her, and and so they have this. Just sort of back and forth, which, of course, leads to them, like, making out and having sex. Um, and, and, and they're talking afterwards. And, and Schwartz says something that being in jail showed him two things, um, one of the more interesting than the other. And the, the more interesting one is that his, his class, his money, his position, that he's starting to understand they might not be able to protect him the way that he thinks that they can protect him.
1: Um, you'd think he would have figured that out when he gets denounced as a Jew and he barely <laughs> is able to uh, f- is barely able to protect himself from the allegation.
0: Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe, but I do think it is it is it is a recognition that things are are changing um, and and that you know, just because he works for the Germans, that might not matter as much as it had earlier on in the um, in the occupation. Uh, and it is also just a reminder of Schwartz's whole worldview, uh, which is basically like me, 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 uh, all the way through. Whereas Marie obviously has, uh, some fidelity to something larger and bigger. But the second thing he says is like about her, you know, you're the only, I realize you're the only person I care about. At which point I would just like to remind everybody that this dude has a kid. Yeah. I was we haven't just seen him say... for a while, but like. These people make me crazy. Uh, okay, so now that we've covered all the other plot points, let's do in our last quarter of the show focus entirely on the communists. Uh, even though we really should have started there because
1: because uh, it's actually what the episodes are about.
0: Because it's what the it, it, it sets off all the action for the episodes. Um, but you know this isn't a scripted podcast. We just kind of jump in, so we'll take it. Uh, we'll take it last. Um, the so the 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 whole thing kind of starts out with they are they're ready to go. They are planning the assassination. Um, Marcel is going with the baby faced leader, uh, and the baby faced leader has a toothache, um, which means that they need to go to a pharmacy before everything happens. Um, Marcel and the guy doesn't want to go, but Marcel's like, "We got time. Let's go get you some cloves uh, for your toothache." And while they are in the pharmacy, the German soldiers walk in, and they're just now standing behind them. And uh, you see the baby-faced commie go for his gun, and Marcel puts his hand on him to stop him. He does not want this done in the in the pharmacy. Uh, but when it's his turn to order, he goes and starts talking to the pharmacist, and baby-faced communist turns around and shoots uh shoots the first German officer and then the second one comes comes at him. Marcel jumps on him uh they shoot the second one, and now they're on the run and uh eventually this is one of those this shows usually doesn't do isn't too bad about this stuff, but there is like a really silly uh you know they find kind of a grate to a wine to a cellar in a house, and you know they're just managed to just like pop the lock off with the, with the butt of a gun, and uh, and Marcel scurries in there, and they the babyface communist relocks the grate, and um and Marcel is now alone in the cellar as the entire uh, town is being locked down, and there's a manhunt uh, for his arrest.
1: Yeah, so this is um uh I I think a fairly reasonable uh, account of you know they're they're very short of ammunition they have very little li- limited ability to plot a getaway and i actually am on the side of the baby face commander here uh, you've got an enclosed space with two germans your job is to kill some germans it doesn't matter who you've got them in the room uh all you got to do is turn around and shoot and Marcel tries to restrain him, but he does it. That's the mission. And then they manage to get away, um, which of course sets up the whole hostage taking uh, situation. Um, but they are, I mean, I actually think he correctly managed, you know, he manages the situation uh, in a fashion that completes their maybe crazy, but uh, but clear mission. Of course, the party then shifts gears on them, and uh, 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 Marcel is blamed for this political mistake, uh, which is uh, Stalin-esque for things that didn't work out that we need to blame on somebody. Um, and, um, and Marcel is now stuck in the uh, basement with the foie gras, which is, and, and, a, and a lot of nice wine. So he's uh, in a bad way, but he's also, uh, uh, I, they have actually pulled it off and pulled it off with exactly the effect that they were supposed to, which is to make the Germans retaliate. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a, um, I, I have to say, I thought the baby-faced commander was going to lead lead them into disaster, but I th- thought he acquitted himself pretty well, given the parameters of the mission.
0: What do you make, though? This is the part I really want to ask you about. Uh, and I know you've got a hard stop, so I'm just going to—we can kind of end on this. But Paul, the head of the co- the local communist guy, who's always always on Marcel about something— and the party this and the party that,
1: and, and, repre- and represents uh, Stalinist orthodoxy, which is to say, whatever the party says at any given minute is his is his gospel, even if it contradicts what the party was saying yesterday and will say tomorrow.
0: Right. Which I mean, you just you gotta. I mean, this is it's it. it, it would, if it weren't so terrible, it would be funny. Where Paul shows up. And he's trying to make up some fake documentation and take some pictures, which, by the way, is like the kind of thing you could have thought they could have thought about beforehand, that they might need to make a run for it. and They need the fake passports, like, as opposed to shooting it while uh, taking the photos then. But whatever. Uh, but he comes in and he's like, this is this was a political error on your part. As though he had not been saying to Marcel the entire time uh, the party's orders. Marcel didn't want to go shoot anybody. He was against it the whole time. As he
1: reminds, he voted against it, followed orders. No, but this is this is the Communist Party, right? Um, when something goes badly, they need somebody to blame and, uh, the fact, and he is now a convenient, having actually argued against this precise policy, he's the face of it and they are, uh, gonna be, um, you know, it's on him, um, uh, you know that's the the history of the p- this period is a uh, history of the party pivoting on a dime and blaming people and of course the most famous example of that is you know their pivot on a dime from being essentially not anti-nazi uh after the molotov Ribbentrop pact to being uh you know the face you know being the active resistors uh, after the Soviet invasion, uh, the invasion of the Soviet Union. So this is a, a, a little a, a portrait in miniature of something that the party did at massive scale.
0: Well, I don't understand why anybody would belong to the Communist Party. I well, gotta say, you know, gotta say,
1: lots of French people disagreed with you, um, both in this period and in the period before and after it. And the party was a big political force uh, um, uh, in in in, uh, uh, in in France for a long time. We have got to wrap up, but I do want to say one other thing about the uh, uh, the assassination uh, portrait, which is that once you are in this cycle. Um, it's very, very difficult to get out of it, right? And the Germans, uh, you know, the Germans shoot hostages. uh, You can't show weakness in response to that. So you got to kill more German soldiers, which of course, what's the reasonable response to that? It has to be more hostages. And that is uh, a cycle that they are setting up here. And in fact, you know, happened over a protracted period of time.
0: Yeah uh well uh it was a really riveting two episodes and um i hope you guys enjoyed uh seven and eight as much as we did and we will be back next week to do episodes nine and ten
1: and indeed, take us home